It's Pretty Little Grown Men, the Podfectionists. I'm David Greenwald. I'm Dom Sinicola. This week, and well, this week we watched two episodes, so now <laughs> we're into the second episode that we watched this week, uh, which was actually this week's episode mm-hmm. of Pretty Little Liars. Uh, Lied Together, Died Together, directed by our good pal, Norman Buckley. Yes, director of photography, uh, Larry Reedman. Larry Reedman. Uh, And, of course, leave it to Norman to introduce the episode that uh, has some uh, Jeremy Jeremy Bentham panopticon bullshit with uh, 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 Taylor admitting that she designed Beacon Guard. And right. that uh, she designed it in order to keep people safe. And then, uh, of course, Allison, who I'm sure is boned up on her philosophy, comes in and says, when people know that they're being watched, you know, they're more apt to behave. Right. And Taylor's like, yes, exactly. The surveillance state is good. <laughs> also, I'm going to shoot someone in this episode. Oh, my God. As soon as she showed up at the... Uh, on shore to greet uh, Eddie Redmayne, you knew that she had like her hand in her fucking pocket. You knew that she's gonna fucking shoot that guy. I mean, that was really one of the craziest scenes in PLL history because you have a shooting in broad daylight, and immediately all the characters are like, "Right, we're covering up a we, murder. We now. need to cover up this murder. That's the thing that we're doing <laughs> after we've also called nine one one." And then Caitlin's like, he's alive. And all the looks on their faces are just like, she's like, oh, thank God. (laughs) And everyone else is like, right. Are we going to have to kill this guy? Do we have to like dump him off the, uh, into the, off the pier right now? Do I have to shoot him again? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good cliffhanger. (laughs) And it also leaves the cliffhanger of like, did he kill Nolan? Yeah. No. The answer is no, he did not. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, um, this was the episode that we saw being filmed. Yes, we did our set visit for this. So there were a few shots that we got to see uh, when Mona goes to the bar and orders a whiskey neat. So I'm glad we can finally uh, reveal all of the uh, uh, set experience that we had. We've Except been hold- for one thing, which is oh, not a, right. was not in this episode. We talked to someone who we talked. We shouldn't even say. I shouldn't even say, but a thing that I thought was going to be in this episode um, was not. Do you know what I'm talking about? Should we pause the podcast? Um, I mean, I'm maybe. Pa- yeah. I'm going to pause this podcast. <laughs> Hang tight, folks. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. We had to take a minute there to figure out if the thing we thought was something was something, but it probably isn't. Anyway, it isn't. Uh, it's not. <laughs> Uh, we'll see what happens in the finale and maybe that will Well, we can say, we can say what it was, which is essentially that we, no, 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 let's, let's say for next week. Well, no, but we, I guess we can't say we, we, yeah, no, we met Ava's dad. Yes. He's a, he was shadowing, uh, Norman, the director, because he's also a aspiring director. He was a very nice guy. So you've seen him before. I think at that point in, in filming of the series, they hadn't, they had not yet decided who Ava's dad would be. And it just turned out that he was this guy who was a good actor, and he uh, was a perfect fit for Ava's dad. Um, we met him, and we talked to him, and he's a great guy. That's true. 
And we so we, we talked about music and movies with him. We didn't know that he was going to be, we didn't know what he did exactly, but so he ended up being in these flashback scenes, yeah. which have been sprinkled throughout the show. Yeah. So I guess we weren't 100% sure on what was, you know, we knew we weren't supposed to talk about him, but then I guess we could have after he started popping up on the show. Right, yeah. Um, so that was really the big the big reveal, I guess. So we can say that the, the, the scenes that we saw... Uh, one scene was, um, yes, was when Mona goes to, so Mona's told by, we didn't see when Mona's told by, uh, Claire that she's fired, but we did see Mona approach the bar and order a whiskey and then be, and then, uh, then be approached by Mason and Mona's like, no, we can't do this anymore. And then them have a conversation about why they can't do this anymore. We didn't know why that was. Now it makes sense. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, the thing that was cut out of the TV show is that Mona approaches the bar and says, I need something stronger. Right. Yes. <laughs> which at the time, so we were sitting there and I turned to Dave and Exclusive I said, Exclusive content here on Pretty Little Gun Man. <laughs> and I turned to Dave and I said, who is she saying this to? Like, if she's saying this to the bartender, the bartender well, was like, like, I don't give a shit, lady. Well, because <laughs> they're, they're handing out champagne, right? <laughs> right. Because this is like, Oh, I guess a, that's true. This is like a gala event for college students. Yeah. And the bartender's like, sure, whatever, lady. I don't care. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't care what you need. Right. So Mona's just like saying to herself, I need something stronger. And then she orders, orders a whiskey neat. Um, and then she has a, the, that confrontation with Mason, which all makes sense now. The other thing we saw was um, the conversation between Claire and Dylan, where Dylan tries to um, tries to approach Claire about uh, her upcoming vote in the ethics committee. Uh, and she says, you know, this is the least of your problems. Um, and then Andrew comes up right after and says, you know, like, Hey, there's the guy from this, the Seattle symphony. He's over there. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this. And Dylan's like, huh? And that's, that's the extent of the scene that we saw. Right. Right. It's true. And so something interesting about it, I guess, was, you know, we saw them film all these multiple takes, Mm -hmm. you know, multiple angles of all this stuff. And, uh, you're sitting there watching it on the, on the TV or the monitor or Mm -hmm. whatever. And seeing it into the finished product is like, wow, they really found the best takes and they smoothed they really it did. all out. And it, this is like certainly the best version of what we saw. They, they, they cut out all the things that we were uh, somewhat making fun of while we were sitting there. They cut out all the things that probably should have gotten cut out. I mean, this is TV, folks. This is like, this is where we watch the sausage being made. It's, it's made by it's professional sausage makers. Yeah, we saw that sausage being made and it's great sausage. Let me tell you. It really, it really came out in the wash, that sausage. Um, That's a mixed metaphor. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah, it's been a long night of watching two episodes of this and podcasting and getting distracted by Game of Thrones. Yeah, and I, I used all of my uh, decent metaphors for the John Wick review that I wrote this morning. Yes, if you haven't read Dom's uh, review of John Wick 3, Parabellum, mm-hmm. uh, on the Pace Magazine website, it is a terrific review. You should go check it out. Thanks, bud. You know, actually, and then we should say uh, tomorrow's a great day for content and especially for content that appeals to Dave and and me, uh, because tomorrow is both when John Wick 3 comes out and when Carly Rae Jepsen's album comes out, her new album called Dedication, which we are not listening to right now, even though it is now both on our phones. I already I downloaded it on my phone before we started watching these podcasts or watching these shows Mm -hmm. and doing this podcast. And I was like, oh, no. 
I have, we're gonna have to wait like three hours to go home and listen to Carly after this. I mean, based on the information on my phone, it is 15 songs long, which is wonderful. It is 48 minutes, which is the perfect amount of time for yes. a Carly Rae Jepsen album. Yes. And every single that I've heard, which are three sing, well, four singles: Julian, Party of One, uh, No Drug Like Me, yes. and what's the the fourth one? Oh. It's the, it's the sing, it's on the split single with no uh, drug with me. All now that I found you. Yes, all great songs, great songs, yes. and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this album. I'm excited for track eleven, "Feels Right," featuring Electric Guest, who did that song, "A Real Hero," mm. from the Drive soundtrack. Oh my God, really? Yes. Yeah, which is shit. like the absolute perfect vibe that I would mm-hmm. want from a Carly record. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear all these things. If you're a fan of Pretty Little Grown Men, then tomorrow. You know, when when you're listening to Carly Rae Jepsen's album dedication, think of, think of us. Yeah, dedicated to us. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this episode was cool. I like when PLL gets to the point in the season when the liar affectionists think they know what's going on and they're going to go and save the day, and mm-hmm. things just go completely sideways and get crazy on them, which is what happened in this episode. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 kind of insane. I mean, it, you know, I think that our the antipathy towards the law enforcement situation on this show comes to a head, especially in this episode where Dana Booker finds the money uh, that uh, that Ava and and Caitlin hid. Well, hang on, hang on. First of all, they try to go to Claire Hotchkiss with this recording. Right, you're right. Of Dana doing a crime. And falsifying Cl- evidence and claire is like thank you for the evidence that i picked the right person i'm gonna give her a raise yeah i'm gonna give her a raise to keep doing more crimes to try to figure out who killed my son now what i don't understand is how um when you find out that your employee is doing uh some capital crime ass shit that that you then proceed to pay her more more money implicating when, yourself in crimes right like eventually this has to come out that you know what whatever they discover about uh, nolan's killer they're gonna they're gonna have to bring that to the police and if their evidence is uh corrupted by all of this uh you know these bad dealings and these uh these really uh underhanded means of getting this information there's no way that that could pass in the court of law this is a problem that we've had many times in the show. Right. Well, I think this episode kind of speaks to one of the through lines of PLL. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, because I think it goes more with the like, trust no one except your friends vibe of these shows. Mm-hmm. But there is this thread of that. The police are corrupt. That mm-hmm. authority figures are corrupt, but specifically the fucking popo. Right. 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 Yeah. And the, going from you know wilden to this character mm-hmm. you have this long run of except for officer toby the one true uh clean cop you have this through line of these <laughs> the bad... idealistic center of the pretty little liars universe yeah you you have these bad characters essentially mm-hmm. and i don't think pll is a particularly political show i don't think it's trying to send a message about cops and yet it keeps returning to this this trope right which is weird because it's like the the universe essentially is stating we we don't we don't believe in authority 
but we're not willing to explore what it means to defy that authority in any sort of realistic way. Yeah, I mean, it's not a show about anarchism or, like, socialism Mm. or whatever. Of course it's not about socialism. If it was about socialism, these fucking rich-ass people wouldn't have the privilege that they do. Right. I mean, essentially, because that's the thing, is, like, you're seeing... I mean, I, I, I don't know. The the dynamics are interesting because in this case, uh, you have a uh, security head of color essentially dealing with these, like, outside of Caitlin, but with these other, like, wealthy white kids, basically, yeah. uh, and working for this wealthy white woman. I don't know. Like, I don't, the well, I again, like, it's not a political show, and I don't think I mean, is Ava, is Ava are, a white person? That's a good question. I, I think she's a p- person of color. Her last name is Jalali. Where does that take us to? Uh, I, no, that sounds Indian, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate yeah. in any way. No, that's fine. But, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's any intentional uh, racial dynamic or issues with, like, what that could mean in mm-hmm. relation to the cops, et cetera. So, you know, I don't know what the what the show is really trying to say there, but, like, it it is a frustration of the show that we have to live in this weird bubble of this person who's the campus security a rent a cop get yeah. to like do whatever the fuck she wants in the context of this campus. It's really frustrating. Trying to solve a murder case. <clears throat> it's really and this, frustrating. And you have a literally a U.S. senator rolling in and being like, "Yeah, cool, let's do that." Why does this U.S. senator agree to? I mean, so, so uh, Dana Booker shows up uh, and obviously alerts uh, Caitlin's mom to what's happening. They discover the money, and then Dana fucking walks away with the goddamn money just walks away yeah, with, with it. the evidence and senator mama is like cool let's cover this shit up yeah let's get you out of here yeah and it's just like what the fuck man i mean but you know again, on top of like what what are the optics of you fraternizing with uh this notorious criminal's daughter i mean again it goes into this idea of like parents are untrustworthy mm-hmm. authority figures are untrustworthy i mean you have claire hotchkiss who like is trying to send Taylor to the quote unquote spa, like basically to, you know, some kind of facility, you know, some, it's like some, uh, 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 I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie cure for a cure for wellness, the Gore Verbinski movie, No, but it's like, I'm going to send you this expensive spa to basically like get your brain remangled and re- right. reset. It, yeah. I mean, it feels like it's like, you know, Dr. Somebody is here. It was very <laughs> one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, but, uh, one thing that we didn't really talk about in the last episode uh, is that, you know, when we when we speak about these ideas of authority and parents and you know older people versus this younger generation, uh, I think we're expected to align Allie and Mona with the younger people, right? Which it's it's that's not true because they're faculty members and they're adults, and Allie even makes. In, in the last episode where we briefly saw the Argentine su- suave uh, um, uh, Casanova, he, or Ali says, like, I'm, I'm glad, that, like, I hope we can be friends because I don't know any other adults. But yet we're supposed to also align these young adults with the kids uh, against the authority figures slash real adults and it's like so are we supposed to 
except this relationship between Mona and Mason. Mason is probably what, 19 years old. Right. Mona's, a, I mean, Mona's probably mid twenties. Yeah. And as is an adult late twenties. I mean, um, well, there's no question put to that. It's really weird how the show still sets up these weird boundaries between the, the liars characters, the characters that we know and how it's not willing to fully submerge them in the world of, of actual like adult responsibility and keep this connection to this youth, which almost like removes culpability from them being truly evil and corrupted by the adult world. That's a good point. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that analysis a lot. I mean, someone pointed out that, you know, Mona sleeps with Mason and immediately gets fired. Right. Yep. And so faces immediate consequences. And then she says, this was a mistake, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to and like, yeah, yeah, we knew that we saw that happening. That was a mistake the whole time. Sure. But like, as opposed to the treatment of Arya and what's his name? Where it goes on for years. You know years. what his name is, Dave. It's Ezra. Ezra Fitz. <laughs> and it goes on for years, and they end up getting married. And it's all, like, totally, it's you fine. know, totally, totally fine. It has nothing so, to do with their age. Right. So it's, like, clearly the it, – it's interesting that that happens because this is convenient to the plot, I guess, for Mona to get fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, clearly the show has pretty intense double standards about how it wants to treat these sorts of relationships, mm-hmm. uh, especially with Mason, you know, not being a 15 year old. Right. I mean, I guess like, I don't know, it's it's probably like any college age show or any drama where um, if you think about it too hard, these these are children, but the show doesn't the show sets them up as adults as responsible adults who have the uh, responsibilities of adults and who have the worries and concerns and uh, self-awareness of adults. And I guess we're just supposed to accept that, you know? Well, yeah. And that's the thing too, is that the show is very much always from both of these shows are from the perspective of, of these kids, of teenagers, of young people, uh, you know, certainly you're supposed to side with them against these authority figures mm-hmm. and they're like the Scooby gang who has to solve the mystery of the evil adult person who's secretly wearing the, the mask. Yeah. Right. And which is why it was smart of PLL to make the A characters people in their age group mm-hmm. to not make it some conniving adult and sort of corrupt the whole universe of adult life, you know, but still, I, I mean, I think the show has basically, that is a thematic choice that, uh, sure, you can't trust people your own age, but you can trust your friends. Right. And you definitely can't trust adult people who are generally outside of, like, several moms. You know, everyone else is basically bad and conniving and, you know, manipulative. Uh, and we see that with Claire Hotchkiss, who, you know, she's she, it's, it's, she's an interesting character because she clearly has reason to be trying to protect her daughter who Mm -hmm. shoots someone and is unhinged and the show has an unhealthy relationship with the way it depicts mental health. Uh, but you know, she's also running this whole surveillance thing and doing crimes. And it's, it's just like, what is even going on with these characters? I mean, it's, it seems like the show wants to avoid real, um, I guess I don't blame it. Real, uh, issues about mental health because, 
Taylor's Taylor's character is a strange character where, um, I mean, are we supposed to like the way that Allie responds to her character? Are we supposed to? I it's it's hard to put a beat on it because uh, it's hard to ever really understand the perspective of the of the TV show in general because, um, it's like. Does the TV show believe that there is romantic a romantic connection between Taylor and Allison? Right. Or well, someone someone pointed out there's the scene. So Taylor shoots a guy. Yes. And Allie's like trying to calm her down and says, "Oh, you're, you're shaking. shaking." And someone pointed that uh, pointed that out on Twitter as like, "Oh, she's comforting her. Look at them." And it's well, like it's she like, just shot someone. Well, that's I mean exactly. Allie's Allie's response shouldn't be, "Oh, you're shaking." It's like, of course she's fucking shaking. She just killed the almost killed somebody right i mean possibly killed somebody right it, it was just like why isn't just... ellie's response being like what the fuck did you just do right i don't know it <clears> was <throat> it was just funny to me that people are so invested in the relationships on the show and the show as a vehicle for relationships yes. that that would be a response versus being like shocked that someone got shot well see know? i think that yeah i mean I... it's fine it's, it's perfectly fine analysis it was just seeing it in the context of actually watching the mm -hmm. show as opposed to like the picture on Twitter. I was like, Oh, that was not what I thought was happening in this scene. I think the more interesting thing is to investigate Allie's response as a matter of Allie seeing herself in Taylor and sort of having this kind of ongoing meta narrative in which she watches herself make decisions that she's never made and sees the consequences of those decisions. Right. Yeah. That is yeah, that is one of the more interesting threads that the show could be chasing, and it has not done so in really a full-throated way. No, because it's I mean because you know the 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 first instinct you have is that oh the show is not willing to go there. Instead, it's trying to build this sort of weird romantic relationship. I mean, look at the relationship between Mona and Mason. Um, it happens quickly. Uh, it happens despite the best judgments of probably every adult involved. Um, you know, it's just like, it's just, it's kind of one of those things where, I mean, this is kind of the a, a, a part of the conversation that we had the other night um, when we went to dinner, which is this idea of, of shipping and, and where we've come as a culture uh, and as fans surrounding the idea of shipping yeah i want you to get into this a little bit because we talked about it at dinner and it it had occurred to me i don't think we've talked about this on a podcast really mm -hmm. but the the concept of shipper culture and the level of interest in shipping it just <clears throat> as like discourse and pop culture feels to me like uh, a, a newly mainstreamed thing yeah and we were talking about it and thinking you know maybe this comes from the roots of fan fiction right uh if you want to get into that a yeah little. well the, a person that we should actually have on the show to talk about this is mark abraham who we have had on the show before yes and, hi mark yeah hi mark um uh if you go back into our archives you will find some good episodes that he guested on and hopefully you know maybe if we have some time he'll want to come back on to talk about the perfectionists i know he's watching but um uh, one of the things in all of the all of the time that I've written with him that he introduced to me was this idea of shipping, and it I I, and this is a um, this is my own 
idea theory that I've come up with. So I could be wrong, but I believe not based on many years of Tumblr scholarship. Right. But I believe that shipping began as an idea of putting characters together who, who, who fans believe functionally belong together, but who the narrative won't actually support being together. So, um, on a, on a pretty obvious scale, you could look at Mulder and Scully, which, um, the show did not, the show always teased being together because of their very intimate relationship that they developed, but didn't actually functionally happen until the end of the series. Um, and you could even say that them finally being together marked the downfall of the series to a more abstract uh, extent you uh, could look at um, the idea of, sh- of 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 a shipper of of shipping being the consequence of having two characters be together that would never ever be to character be together uh, in any sort of remote sense to the narrative uh, one um, example that uh, I always think about when I think about what what Mark introduced to me was the idea of two characters on uh, Gem and the Holograms being together in a in a lesbian relationship, and that was obviously never uh, on the show. Now it could have been coded that way. I don't know. I never watched the show, but not can- certainly not canon. But it's not canon. Right. It's just if you want to read into the show, you can find the evidence there. So you have this idea of shipping as being sort of a slash fiction kind of realm. But then well, and being uh, a rebellious thing against the sort of conservative, the essential conservatism exactly. of so much mainstream yeah. culture and the lack of representation. Right. Exactly. But over the course of, you know, you could look at look at the Pretty Little Liars as uh, the TV show as, as a good uh, timeline over the course of the past decade, I guess, um, shipping has has evolved from the realm of speculation and sort of or or speculation drawing, drawing fans together, real hardcore fans together to just reiterating what the show has already established. So now shipping is a matter of, of Emerson. It's a matter of, of, uh, of, um, Haleb. Right. It's shipping these characters who Who are already together, already canonically together so essentially being like being a hardcore fan uh who has bent their fandom around shipping now just means holding the line for these already established relationships which to me i feel like is kind of um a negative thing because it's like not it's not imagining a world in which these relationships evolve and change and 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 new connections are made between characters it's wanting the world to stagnate around these already over established relationships where every every character arc every um new character beat every evolution of character has to somehow return these characters to their original like shipping bonds and that this the fandom is so hardcore around these Shipping bonds to me speaks of a dire stagnation in the fandom and in the the the, the plot and the character development of the series. Right. Well, it's just it's not what we 
what you and I watch the the show for certainly. Right. Uh, and so it is a different kind of fandom and it's hard for me to sort of, uh, get a, get a lens on it, I guess. But yeah, I mean, like one of the relationships I thought was the most interesting was when Spencer and Caleb get together Yeah, and I thought they just had way more chemistry. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time where I was like, oh yeah, I ship this. I really like these characters Mm -hmm. together. They have a great connection and when the show decided to not put them together i was i was unhappy about it Mm -hmm. so i became a shipper yeah you know but uh right i you know i felt like i i'm i guess that's my opinion is as subjective as anybody but i felt like there was more justification for them to be together because their relationship seemed to have more chemistry Mm -hmm. they were adults you know, the, the, they had grown. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the reasons for Caleb to go back to Hannah outside of like, oh, you were my first love. Or, or why Spencer know, went back to Toby. Right. You know? Right. Especially in the aftermath of, I mean, like, ugh, we, don't, we don't have to relitigate all this fucking shit with Pretty Little Liars, but it makes no sense for Spencer, especially after learning that her uh, evil twin has sullied that relationship uh, already to then return to Toby who is tr- who is doubly traumatized because both right. he both hooked up with uh, the evil twin and his fucking fiance was murdered in a freak accident right yeah that was bad and to then return to the this this like you know, I mean, like that's the whole, that. I mean, if you look back, that's the basis. Oh yeah, of, just the oh, whole, <laughs> just the whole, the whole thing of like the cycles of trauma, just re right. reemphasizing these horrible relationships. Right, like, hey, my, you know, my evil twin really took advantage of you, but I guess that proves that you still have feelings for me. So I still have feelings for you? Question yeah. mark. And now we're now you we're know? together forever. It, it was just like, oh. And now we okay. have a baby together, and you know, uh, you know. So th- I guess the the. The thing about the shipper thing, which bugs me, is that it does override the way the characters are, are at least the way I view the characters and the growth of the characters and what makes sense for them and, uh, you know, what they should be doing and who they are, mm-hmm. you know. And so the sort of, uh, what's the word for this, the the inability or the uh, uh, the disinterest in in having there be an evolution mm-hmm. or the characters like clearly not being you know i mean i guess it becomes i don't want to i don't want to hate on shipper fans because i know they are a big part of the fandom and the folks who are watching i think probably certainly the most vocal people watching the show would be people who are shippers and who that right. is like the primary identity of them the primary lens of them watching the show well right so i don't want to like hate on it but it is like it's contrary to what i think the show has presented as these pll characters in the past yeah and you know like i don't see justification for Allie being with emily as far as where the character is going on her current journey you know like that's not what the show is giving us as far as who she is and where she should be well you know on on social media there was a, a hypothetical uh a text conversation between Mona and Hannah, which I know you commented on. Is it canon? Is it canon? Because is it canon? It's so not, the ca- it's not canon. So essentially, this conversation. I mean, this is from the Pretty Little Liars main account. So it's a uh, supposed real time conversation between Hannah and Mona, in which Mona says, sh- like basically, like shit's fucked up at BHU. I don't know if I'm gonna 
I don't know if I have a place here anymore. Can I come back to Rosewood and can I come like sleep on your couch? And Hannah's like, well, um, I know that you normally bring trouble wherever you go, but sure. I'm always here for you. It's just like, so did Hannah send or did Mona send this before she was fired by Claire Hot Hotchkiss or at like be, in in the in, in the intermediate after like aftermath and after being after, fired I think after and before they went and and uh, almost murdered Eddie Redmayne I mean who knows right right that's a great point but it's like there's this there will always be this sense of not being able to get away from the things that I think bothered us most about the previous series. I think that maybe, at least for me personally, I want to put a lot of that stuff behind. And I want The Perfectionist to be this show that writes writes the wrongs that I felt with Pretty Little Liars. And it's not that show. No, it's it's not. I mean, especially with the way the treatment of Taylor in this episode where, I mean, again, just like Charlotte... She's this child, you know, child genius mm-hmm. who created Beacon Guard, this sophisticated surveillance network at age 14. Right. She's programming software that can like track people's movements and ID them, you know, and the show's justification for her and her relationship with her mom is like basically uh, she's obsessive or, or whatever, you know, she's gone. She's had probably presumably been off to you know, been in one of these mm-hmm. uh, treatment centers or, or whatever it would be called. Right. And, you know, uh, it just goes back to the way PLL dealt with mental health on the first show where, you know, you have Mona and Charlotte who both spend time in Radley and, you know, have these mental health issues and trauma and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the show doesn't seem to want to deal with any of that in, you know, any kind of healthy way. No. Uh, and you just see them put, again. Here's the character who actually shoots someone. Well, guess what? She's unhinged. She's crazy. Right. And it's just like it's really a crutch for the show to have to turn to. Someone can't just be an evil character. Someone can't just be whatever. Well, they also have to be struggling with mental illness. Uh, and those are the people who are going to who are the villains. You know. Well, I mean, but then you look. Then you have someone like Mona who. I mean, you could probably say that Mona is a character who it's it's obvious that she's dealing with mental illness. I mean, even with, within this hypothetical um, text conversation between Mona and Hannah, uh, Mona says or Hannah says, oh, you know, we can like you can come sleep in our guest room or whatever. Uh, and Mona says, is that OK? I don't want to cause any trouble. And Hannah says, you're going to cause trouble. But. I want you to come anyway. And essentially that's to me, that was Hannah saying like, Oh, I know that you're like, you're, I know that you're a fucked up person, Mona, but also like we're all fucked up people cause we're all broken by trauma. So you might as well just come anyway. And, um, I feel like Mona, I mean, and to some extent, Allie are like people who deal, who have like real issues with mental health. And I feel like the TV show, wants to embrace those as a matter of fact, because to not would be to, to deny continuity and Canon. But at the same time, they don't really actually want to deal with the, the real traumatic consequences of what their characters are going through. Um, 
I mean, if they did, well, I just... They, I mean, the consequence would be you have a situation where somebody shoots somebody. Yeah, where somebody dies... And I mean, to to a less to a lesser extent, the consequence is that they like leave and they go home and they fucking like n- they, they like try to deal with their lives, right. which I don't. Which I mean, you don't see anyone really doing. No, and it's impossible because if we're gonna if we're to go off the results of Pretty Little Liars, the series, they all just got involved back in their traumatic relationships anyway so of course they haven't actually like matured as human beings right so is there i mean (laughs) the the funny thing about this episode was you know there's kind of this the three perfectionists are about to get in the car to go confront eddie redmayne and who's not an actor on this show but we're just gonna keep calling him that Mm -hmm. and they have this sort of all is lost moment where they're like well we're all Probably not going to be here tomorrow. We're getting kicked out of school. I, we all did crimes. Whatever. It's fine. It's actually but, like... But the real crimes, the real f- crimes were the friends that we made along the way <laughs> is basically what that scene yeah. is, you know? <laughs> and it's like, okay, cool. I mean, you've you've reached this in a justified way. Mm-hmm. That you've gone from being like people who really did not trust or like each other into being besties. Uh, but it's like, is that the message ultimately of the show that... that friendship conquers all and it's totally chill to do crimes and keep secrets or whatever as long as you like help each other when you need when in times of need i mean i don't know how far they're willing to take it but i do feel like there was something um that felt real about what caitlin was saying where she said um something along the lines of i just like i just realized what's happening here right and I pushed I, it aside, and now I'm like having. I've a always, attack. I've always pushed these things into the corner of my brain where I can almost like, like the dead corner of my brain that is just logical, where I could ignore it and not feel it, and now I feel it, and I'm panicking, and like it feels, if it, it feels like there's, there's a like she said, like it feels like there's a truck on my chest or something like that. Right. Um. And that to me was like, okay, this is like a really accurate and good portrayal of somebody hitting this breaking point of their life becoming falling into shambles right versus like let's have somebody shoot somebody with a gun right right and you know and it's it sucks because it's like i don't know like what do like, i mean i like this episode because i feel like i'm sort of watching it on the visceral level of wow that was a crazy episode but you know i mean the way that uh, we saw the sausage is made. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> but the, yeah, I mean, the way that it is handling these topics and, mm-hmm. you know, particularly the character growth of someone like Allie, who there is like a really rich story in her, how she's interacting with Taylor and seeing the opportunity to try to help somebody who went through what she went through, essentially, yeah. and then like really failing in a dramatic way to do that mm-hmm. in this episode uh, was kind of like, you know, I don't know what. I don't know where this is all going. Well, I mean, like, the liars have dealt with covering up death before. Right. But what if they, like, the the, the episode didn't go didn't go to this place, um, and so I don't think it, that it will in its uh, finale, but um, the thought that they, that they might, like, have to kill this guy in order to survive right. is, I think, a level of bleakness that this universe hasn't approached yet. Yeah, that's true. Um, which is interesting because 
to have to have Taylor pull out a gun mul- well, multiple times during the episode um, is definitely a new level of like some sinister real shit going on. So, right. right. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard. To, I think to ultimately balance the the weird uh, bottle nature of the universe with how bleak it's getting and how these characters are essentially saying, I mean, we're getting to the point where, you know, uh, Caitlin, Caitlin's mom wants to take her to Georgetown, move back to DC. Dylan's Dylan thinks he's going to get kicked out. And so he's probably gonna have to go back home to the, the Midwest or something. Right. Um, and Ava is, uh, Ava doesn't have any more money because, and this is, this is this just this situation just kind of pisses me off because it's like Dana Booker took the bag of money and no one was like, you're not a fucking cop. Right. You have no right to take this. Right. Not only do you have no right to come into my home uh, and, you know, it's like her walking into Dylan's uh, dorm or, or or living situation is not that's not a legal thing that she could do. And she's like, you don't you can't just take this. This is you're not a you're not a fucking cop. Stop acting like you are a police officer. You're fucking not. You are an overpaid uh, security goon. Excuse me, a security goon who got a raise. <laughs> That's right. For rich white people who run this elite institution that somehow has a connection to um, uh, this crazy security state that was also designed by your prodigy daughter who faked her death. Right. And is now back. Right. Also, we should talk for a moment about how Taylor literally is Batman. Yes. Like her, her (laughs) origin story is that she saw her father get shot in front of her. And so just as in the dark night, she creates an elaborate surveillance system (laughs) to see what everyone is doing so she can put on her bat costume and fight Mm -hmm. crime. And her, and her, uh, her alternate, uh, self in order to cover up her, um, real serious un- uh, underground doings is this uh, super rich person, right? Who just right, exactly, exactly. Uh, how, what do we think about the surveillance underground lair mm. and Mona's connection to it, and if any of that is going to play out into the finale, or if that was like a weird pilot thing that sort of got you know retconned? Well, I mean, it's like. Uh... What did, uh, so didn't Dana Booker basically say like to Mona that like, you're only here because you hacked into be into the beacon guard. Like basically like we, you got hired because you, this is in the last episode, but the only reason you have this job is because you're smart enough to hack into the system. And so we hired you because you could either be a, be a liability or you could help us. Um, that seems to be the case, which is weird because it's it's like, so Mona like hacked her way into a job and what does she want out of this job? Why is she in this place in the first place? Right. Um, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't catch that. And then Dana Booker says, well, this is in the last episode. So Dana Booker then says like, oh, so you brought Allison to BHU and and Mona's like, well, no, I didn't like basically like the algorithm did. And it's like, well, but you designed the algorithm. It's the same thing with like Taylor designing Beacon Guard. It's like, 
Right. And if you someone... design Beacon Guard, then either like it's uh, it's available to be hacked by someone like Mona, or you drew Mona to this place in the first place. Well, and when Taylor says somebody, some people were getting got into Beacon Guard and were tracking a list of people, which we mm. see in this episode, mm. including the janitor, you know, yeah, uh, for for whatever Mr. reason, Mr. Hagedord. So she's like, I never found out who those people were, and I thought, you know, they were. That's who tried to kill me, but then maybe not because of, or maybe that's not who tried to kill or who, you know, actually killed my brother. And that whole thing was like, maybe Mona is that person. Maybe Mona is the person who hacked into the system and was tracking people. Yeah. But then, of course, I think she's on the list, though. She is. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I I mean, mean, it's it's intriguing, and it gave us, like, sort of an A-style shot of, like, an empty lair basically mm-hmm. we didn't really get any other a kind of action in these last episode last couple episodes which you know is kind of a relief because that stuff almost feels like child's play yeah. next to somebody getting Some murder murder you know the the stakes are just, the stakes of this stuff are just all over the place and you know those are sort of classic pll things so i can understand why it would continue with them on sort of the week-to-week basis but you know it these, I think these last two episodes were improved by not trying to squeeze that stuff in. I mean, like, the, yeah, the stakes are, them stakes are high right now. Yeah, they're high now. I mean, we're going into the season finale next week. Oof. Do you think that we're going to find For, out who killed Nolan? I, I, I don't know. It's a great question. Because that's, you know, you don't know if the show is going to get renewed. And so how much do you leave for, you know, future seasons? Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see how it ends up. I mean, typically PLL finales are pretty climactic and I'm excited for this and game of Thrones to both finish this week. And then I have <laughs> no more appointment television to watch and I could never watch. I don't have to watch TV ever again. Seriously. You can catch up on, uh, um, you can catch up on, uh, Spider-Man. Yeah. I can game. finish my Spider-Man PS4 game. I'm trying to see if, uh, the show has been re- renewed or not. Oof. Uh, this um, quote, this this headline is: "Is the perfectionist renewed for season two? It's not looking good." Oh well, okay. So waiting for a headline. <laughs> uh, we didn't do a fake beer sponsor in the previous episode. I do want to do one. Uh, if you were a new listener of the podcast, we don't have real sponsors, but uh, we do. Uh, if we did have sponsors, it would be who, it would who's be this? Good. Level Brewing this week. Well, yeah. Do you want to? We we do have a, a bumper for this. We do have a bumper. Okay. Uh, we're going to listen to our, our commercial break theme song. And we'll be- All right, Tom, what are we, what are you, uh, I'm drinking multiple fizzy waters as usual. Yeah. Uh, so I'm drinking a, um, a, a uh, hazy IPA from Level Brewing. I've talked about them many times on the podcast before. Uh, they do a lot of uh, new special brews. This one is is with Galaxy Hops. Ooh. And so, therefore, it is called She's Fast Enough for You, Old Man, which is... Oh, is that the Star Wars? Star Wars reference, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I thought the font looked... Uh, and the font, based. yeah, the font looks Star very Wars-y. Star Wars-ish. Oh, that's clever. So it's a hazy IPA uh, brewed with Galaxy Hops, um, Care of Level Brewing. It is as delicious as all of their IPAs usually are. I'm a big fan. 
um, check out Level Brewing. Uh, if it, I don't know if it's going to come to you anytime soon, but it's making some some real waves here in Portland. Excellent. Um, one thing we didn't really mention that's worth mentioning is that uh, the whole reason that they uh, that all of the perfectionists uh, end up uh, with uh, Jeremy and and they're doing the the cl- very classic thing that this series does, which is they're like, well we discovered that it's not Dana Booker, so therefore we're sure that it's Jeremy. Right, so let's all go to confront him in a very clever trap. Yeah. It's because uh, Taylor discovered that uh, Jeremy um, was approaching the building that uh, Nolan was thrown from uh, moments up to the blackout, the Beacon Guard blackout, which means that they did not have any records of the moments in which uh, Nolan was actually killed. Um but of course, like most things, uh, they're so they're so sure about Jeremy's guilt that obviously he's not the one who killed Nolan. I'm sure that it turns out he's probably a nice person. He might die, and I mean, really, I think that at the end of the day, Taylor is probably an evil person. Yeah, I you know, uh, I guess the jury is out on, <laughs> on if if Taylor is a, a white hat or a black hat. And then Ava kissed Zach too. Forgot that. That's true. There's some nice romance Zeva. for Zeva in this episode. I feel like Zach is very out of her league, and uh, she's just like, "Oh, he makes me laugh. He's sweet," you know. Well, it's also and there's the, like, there's, there's all that emotional baggage that his whole family was like. What is he going to start dating Ava and then bring her home for Christmas and be like, "Hey, this is Ava Jalali. Her dad uh, squandered all of our life savings." Right. Right. But we're in love. <laughs> but she's really nice, and she's not her dad. Yeah, I don't know. I I like their relationship because uh, he seems very earnest. Mm-hmm. Which usually means that he's not long for this world. Yeah, for, not, perhaps, not that he's gonna die. He's just gonna disappear. Perhaps he'll yeah. Perhaps he'll get murdered in the future episode of uh, PLL: The Perfectionist Season Two. Yeah, God bless. Fingers crossed that they get a season two. Uh, especially because I do not believe that next week is going to solve all of our questions. It probably is not. You know, I guess we can. I'll have. I'll probably just keep watching the show forever at this point because mm-hmm. I'm kind of locked in. I don't know if we need to keep podcasting about season two. I think we've probably said everything we need to say about <laughs> these, these characters. I don't know if like, you know, I mean, it, I, I don't think it's going to do what we want as far as like advancing the issues of like Mona grappling with her mental health or Allison dealing with her trauma and her mm. failed relationships. Like, you know, yeah. it's just not ultimately not really a show about that stuff. In, right. In, yeah. In right. Like the sort not. of in the rich way that we want it to be. No. Um, so just like, uh, just like all these characters need to come to grips with the reality of their situation. So do we, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, but we will be ne- back next week to discuss the season finale of pretty little liars, the perfectionists. Um, and until then you can find us on Twitter at PLGM podcast. Um, and, uh, you can find us, uh, and through that Twitter account, you can find our separate Twitter accounts in which we talk about all the things that we love. And I'm sure we'll be back to discuss more of those things. Um, right, Dave. We'll be back to discuss more things. Yeah. And yeah until... we, there's always more things to discuss, Tom. <laughs> never, there's never a shortage. And until then, as we said last week, act normal, bitches. Listen to Carly Rae Jepsen, bitches. Oh, that's right. Yes, please. Can't keep a secret.
Keeping, I know what you're keeping. Swore 